Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Drive Into the Basket. Uh, we are here once more with Dante, who will actually be joining us full-time from here on out uh, as our third co-host. Dante, thank you. We're excited to have you on board. Oh, I'm excited to keep doing it. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I really appreciate you guys having me, um, and I'm sure it'll continue to be fun. Absolutely. We'll look forward to it. So we're just going to uh, launch right into a discussion about Wayne Ellington, perhaps the most interesting Piston over the last uh, two weeks it's been. So Ellington, as we all know, has been on an absolutely scorching hot streak. Uh, the guy has been uh, over the past eight games, uh, beginning with his entrance, uh, or really his big minute entrance in the starting lineup, so to speak, uh, against uh, the Miami Heat on the 16th of January has been averaging uh, 17.5 points per game on uh, 60% shooting from the three-point line, uh, 8.4 attempts per game. Uh, needless to say, that's uh, an absolutely amazing percentage. Uh, and he's more or less become the focal point of the offense, you know, outside of, you know, outside of Jeremy Grant's self-created offense. The offense basically exists right now to generate wide-open uh, three-point attempts for Wayne Ellington. And these aren't simply spot-up attempts. He's actually been taking pretty difficult shots. Uh, he's, he's, as, as we know from his last stint with the Pistons, he's pretty expert at setting himself off the move. Uh, so basically, uh, we'll just talk a little bit about this. So, Tommy, I know uh, you have uh, certain thoughts about uh, the role he's been playing in the offense and how Casey's been catering to him. Uh, first, I should note... Uh, about this Wayne Ellington's uh, performance on three point line is not sustainable. Uh, that this just should be said. First off, nobody, nobody, nobody uh, sustained 60% from the three point line. Hardly anybody can sustain 50% from the three point line. Wayne Ellington is a 38% career three point shooter. Uh, his best season was about 39%, I believe, with, uh, with the Miami Heat. And so, so right now he's shooting well over 20% in a, you know, in excess of his, of his career three-point average. Uh, he is his primer regression candidate as they come. It's going to happen. Uh, the question is, is how far he'll regress, of course. But uh, yeah, so Tommy, why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, about his role and how you feel that contrasts with, uh, with the attention given to, to certain other players in the roster? Yeah, I mean, you can argue that the Pistons should be using these minutes for younger guys, but uh, it's pretty clear that Casey and Weaver have opted to prioritize competitive play on the court uh, rather than use those minutes for development. And with that in mind, I think you have to agree that Ellington deserves these minutes. Like you said, the degree of difficulty on these shots, the way he's coming off screens, uh, he's absolutely taking advantage. And um, I think one of the let's, – let's look at this. One of the reasons that the Warriors' offense is so hard to guard is that their shooters are constantly moving and the defense has to keep adjusting, and that's where their windows come from. It helps that they have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson usually. But uh, Ellington's doing the same sort of thing here. He's moving, he's coming off screens, double screens, and he's getting these open looks. And he's the main beneficiary of a lot of Casey's play calling. And it's interesting to look at because we've kind of – we've been upset at Casey in the past for kind of running the offense through Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose who are just like ISO scorers. But this is showing that Casey is capable of running like this really nice looking offense. And obviously, yeah, Wayne Ellington's not going to continue to shoot 60% on threes, uh, but I don't expect him to tank his percentage too much. So uh, that's the main thing. Uh, Ellington's not just taking spot up threes. He's not standing in the corner, letting something come to him. He's really working very hard for these great looks. And uh, I think the main thing for me is that 
I'd like some of these looks to go to guys like Svi. I think Svi could do this too. But uh, well, Ellington is really, really uh, taking advantage of this. So watching that more, I've come to appreciate his game and uh, what Casey is capable of designing. Or maybe one of the other coaches is designing this. And uh, that's really a lot of fun to watch, honestly. Yeah, Tommy, I, I'm I'm fully in agreement. I'm a huge fan of, well, I've become even more of a fan of Wayne over these past six or seven games, whatever it was. Um, yeah, he's been otherworldly. Like, he's just been incredible. And you guys are absolutely right. It's not just that he's draining these shots. It's like the what kind of shots he's actually making. You know, he's not just standing there in the corner wide open, even though he hits those two. Um, he's dribbling back and forth. He's shooting off balance. He's coming around screens, taking handoffs. Uh, even within uh, the three-point line, his, his floaters and his uh, drives uh, yep. to the basket are falling as well. So he's just... Yeah, it's not even on fire. He's just he's like molten lava right now. He's incredible. Um, and I agree with you too, Tommy. In in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter that he's shooting um, at such a ridiculous percentage for this organization right now? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I would probably rather that um, that usage go to Svi uh, and Bay and, and and other players. But um, that's that's not how Casey operates. That's not uh, clearly the in the spirit of the organization right now, they want to be competitive um, in all facets. So while Wayne is here and while he's uh, gobbling up these minutes, it's, it's a good thing that he's scoring because it has been pretty fun to watch. And ultimately um, as far as the long-term future of this team, it's going to come down to uh, it's certainly not sustainable, but is his play sustainable enough to maybe uh, garner some interest at the trade deadline? And I'm curious to see if it will, because I wasn't optimistic at first, um, but as the games have gone on and he's continued, you almost wonder if maybe someone will throw a future second our way come the trade deadline. So I'm curious to know what you guys think about that. Uh, I think it's he'll need to sustain it over a significantly longer period. Basically, I mean, it, everybody knew that that Wayne Ellington was a good shooter. I mean, it's 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 always been the case. I mean, it, it was the case uh, when he was at the Heat, for example, in the Heat with the team uh, for uh, for which he played prior to his first stint in Detroit. That said, in, in you know he was coming off in 2017-2018 was his best overall season uh, when he shot 39% on about seven and a half attempts per game for the Heat. The next season, he was shooting 37.1% uh, on, on about seven attempts per game. Still a good score. Uh, still a good shooter, rather. Uh you know, especially because, as we know, Ellington is, is one of those guys who can who can set quickly, who can shoot off pump fakes, who can shoot from around screens. Very valuable skills. Uh, nonetheless, they couldn't find a trade a taker for him at the trade deadline. Uh, they just waived him altogether. <laughs> you know, it's just gone. You know, go find yourself another team. We're going to pay you to leave for the season. So, at Ellington does have some faults. Basically, uh, sure he can he can get the average floater. He's a decent passer. Uh, but uh, outside of being a three-point shooter, basically he's not going to start for a good team. A good team is going to have better options in the starting lineup. Ellington's a decent defender, but he's exploitable. Uh, he's just—he's not very versatile in general. And uh, other teams just might have better options. So his trade value will be impeded by the fact that wherever he goes, he's probably not going to be playing 30 minutes a game or anything close to it. And uh, especially once you look to the playoffs where rotations really shrink, you, you might see the average team might be playing like seven guys a game and your starters are playing 40 plus minutes. 
uh, he's just going to see he's going to see less go. He's going to see a smaller role in the offense, and and so on and so forth. So th- that would impair his trade value in the first place. In addition to the fact that you know he's he's thirty three years old. Uh, we saw that Reggie Bullock, who was one of the best three point shooters in the league two seasons ago, got traded for basically the, the best offer the Pistons got for him was either two second round picks uh, or a second round pick and a prospect, you know, and Steve Mikhail. Those those are the offers they got from the Lakers. And Reggie Bullock was much younger. Uh, you know, he's a bigger, better defender, not great defender, but better defender. Um, and, and conceivably with more upside, also full third rates. But in general, Wayne's going to have to be shooting at a 40 plus percent clip uh, until the trade deadline to have really much of any value. And I'd say the best the Pistons would get for him uh, is, is a couple of future seconds, uh, maybe one second round pick. Yeah, it's better than nothing. So I got more long term value to the Pistons than a 33 year old. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. So I guess at the end of the day, we're just going to have to keep our fingers crossed that he keeps it up, no matter how unlikely it is, because I, I don't I don't know about you guys. I don't see much value in scoring 17 and a half points per game or whatever the exact uh, number he's at as a 33 year old for a rebuilding team. Um, and where the where the value truly is, is if he's valuable to another team. Um, and if that only comes with continued success, then we just have to hope for that continued success. Yeah, I would yeah, say I mean, the likeliest candidate would be. Yeah, I'd say the likeliest candidate would be a fringe playoff team that's willing to shell out a second round pick to in an effort to try to make either make the playoffs or get a better seed. Yeah, uh, a team that a team yeah. that doesn't really necessarily have the deep rotation uh, and is willing to give them the more significant minutes. And they might, you know, I know you mentioned that uh, the Heat couldn't find a suitor for him, but also too the landscape of the NBA changes every year, and different organizations are in different uh, places. So. Maybe this year, um, some team is looking to make a push, and they think that uh, a guy shooting right around forty percent from three on high volume is worth, you know, parting ways with a future second round pick. So again, it's going to come down to how he continues to play and what other teams end up thinking of him. Um, but I, you know, I could stay optimistic because he's certainly not short on opportunity right now. He's going to get all the opportunity in the world um, with this team, with this coaching staff. So if he can maintain his play, uh, that's on him. Uh, to see if he actually can maintain it. And then if he does, hopefully we can reap the rewards. Yeah. I'd say, <clears throat> pardon me, I'd say not only would, uh, not only can we expect him to regress though, uh, other teams I think will more effectively start the game plan against him. I think the Pistons probably aren't taken entirely seriously uh, by, by the, uh, well, let's put it this way. I, I don't think I can say that the other teams don't game plan for the Pistons. Maybe they game, they have coaches, I'm sure, game plan uh, equally for any team. They, they play against, but uh, basically Casey's offense right now, it's, it's, it's sort of similar to how Kyle Korver was utilized by the Hawks you know, back five, six years ago, uh, in which they ran a lot of stuff just to get him open threes because he could be just almost guaranteed to hit them on high percentage, no matter what. So I, I, I think the, the nice thing for them is that they had, Four other players who could who could really you know score a lot of points if you let them do so. Uh, I, I think with the Pistons, it become a little bit easier to game plan. KCP did a good job on Ellington last game. KCP, as we all know, is a good off ball defender. Uh, he was clearly completely exhausted. The Lakers were all exhausted from the night before uh, playing a, a very close game against against the Seventy Sixers, one of the best teams in the league. The Pistons retired too. Clearly, they played the night before also. But I think you'll see teams start the game plan for him better. But uh, I know, Tommy, that uh, uh, 
you uh, saw basically the difference between what what Casey has, has been willing to run for Ellington versus uh, the likes of, of the uh, excuse me of, of uh, Sadiq Bay and uh, Svi Mikhailov. So basically, yeah. Ellington is what Svi was for the Pistons last season. Yeah, um, this season Casey's not giving out uh, excuse me Svi very much at all. And to some degree, I get that because one of the things that Ellington is able to do that Svi can't is get to the rim. I mean, Svi gets there, but he's not very good once he gets there. And, you know, we've seen his short arms are a real problem. So I'm not asking Casey to give Svi everything that he's giving to Ellington. I don't think that's realistic, and I don't think that's an effective way of using him. But I think running more of these, like, off-ball screens for Svi to get him open looks instead of relying on Svi to create his own look by, I don't know, perimeter dribble moves and stuff, I think that would be a much better use of him. And it's still such a head-scratcher to me that Speed doesn't get really any minutes right now. I don't know why he's the guy out of the rotation. We've seen there are some people who are saying, well, he's shooting like crap this year. And to them, I would say, that's fine. I mean, let him shoot his way out of this slump. We know what Speed McGuire is capable of. And then Sadiq, uh, having watched more of his game, uh, I get it more. Sadiq is not a very good off-ball mover. Uh, right now, Casey is using him by putting him in the corner and kind of hoping that his gravity as a shooter is going to make it easier for whatever is going on in the perimeter on the opposite side of the court. And that's probably not the best use of him. I would still like Sadiq to like learn how to use off-ball screens because right now Casey is giving him nothing. And when Griffin plays, he doesn't even see the floor. But I get it to a degree because... Sadiq doesn't move that well. His his jumper isn't as fluid-looking as Wayne's, and I think he's a much better catch-and-shoot guy. But I think if Casey could create something for him where you know Sadiq comes off a screen, he comes around a screen, and then somebody gets him the ball and lets him fl- let it fly, I think he'd really, really benefit from that. So I was upset at first. Like, why is Wayne Ellington getting all this stuff? But I think Wayne is going to be able to do it a lot better than uh, Sadiq and considerably better than Sfi. But still, you have to think about, is it worth it? You know, are you, do, you, do you really want to run all this for Wayne Ellington uh, at the expense of getting really nothing for Sadiq Bey and even less for Sfi Mikhailuk? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I mean, I hate to be pessimistic, <laughs> you guys, and I know I know we've been a little tough on, on Coach Casey the past couple of episodes, but... Tommy, I, I hate to break it to you, but using young players in creative ways is not exactly this coaching staff strength, um, as we've all observed. And, and it's really unfortunate because, you know, like you said, you, you, you make a good point when you say that um, you can't expect Svi or Sadiq to do exactly what Wayne does right now. But to that, I would say Wayne is 33 years old. He's been in this league for many, many years, and uh, he should have tricks up his sleeve and go-to moves that young players don't. But the only way for those players to um, develop and to gain those those practical in-game skills is to be given uh, the chance to be put in a position to succeed, rather. So un- unless they stop being relegated to just standing in the corner, whether or not they're good with their perimeter dribble moves or moving off the ball, um, I-, I feel like their growth might stagnate because the ways that Wayne is being used right now are extremely creative. And I would be absolutely fired up if it was Sadiq or Sfi, but it's not. Um, so your question, is it worth it with a 33-year-old Wayne? Um, 
I don't think so. I don't think it's worth it at the expense of uh, players who are actually going to be on this team and going to contribute to this team down the line. But again, it, it that's that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. And it all goes back to hoping that he can keep it up so we can get him out of here and we can recoup some value in the process. Yeah. If Killian was yeah, on this it's... team and starting, it might be more worth it because, you know, he's playing oh, a guy who's going to be shouldering a percentage of the offense. But right now with this five veteran starting lineup, it really doesn't feel worth it. No, Killian yeah. being in the starting yeah. lineup changes everything. Absolutely, it changes everything because out of the three first-round picks, there's no doubt that he was—he's he, like the crown jewel of of the offseason uh, for this team. And I know that's how the team views him. Um, so if he was out there in the starting lineup, then yeah, you'd want to give him these capable shooters who are really good at moving off the ball all day long. Give him that, but because he's not here, and the point guard is Delon Wright. Now I don't feel it's worth it now. And I, I could tell Mike's Mike's dying to jump in here, but I feel like we probably <laughs> share that sentiment. Yeah, I, I slump every time I, I see the starting lineup as five veterans. It's, Me too. Me it too. just it is it is what it is right now. Uh, I agree absolutely with what you said about about Casey and his his use of of young players in creative ways. So really Dwayne Casey the way he is, he, he if if he can trust if, if he can give a veteran a role, if he can trust a veteran with a role, he will do that anytime over trusting a, a rookie with you know with the, or just a young player in general with that role. Uh, he's he's gonna go for the guy he feels he can rely upon rather than the one with the maybe potentially higher ceiling who just can't be trusted to do that right now. Or he doesn't feel he can trust that player or, or that player needs to develop, even if that player might do well developing on the court. So Svee last year was one of the best shooters in the NBA, uh, just in, uh, from, you know, just in the perimeter sense. Uh, he, as, as we said in the last episode, he shot very well on spot up attempts. He shot very well on attempts taken off of handoffs and, uh, around screens. That's, those are extremely useful skills. And he did this on, uh, you know, on, on a full season basis. Uh, he played 56 games. He started 27 of those. His numbers did not at all suffer when he was in the starting lineup. So, it, uh, yeah, it's, I, I certainly uh, agree with what the two of you are saying that it's, I think it's highly unfortunate that, that Casey is willing to, and, and you know, and, and sure, Wayne is, Wayne has earned this. He's doing really well with it, but Casey is willing to give Wayne this, all this opportunity and, and basically make him one of the pivots of the offense, but he's not, and he, he did this to a degree with Svee last year, but now Wayne's there. He's not going to do it for Svee, where, you know, despite the fact that, that Svee has a future with this team. And, and Wayne pro- probably has a future with this team, and Wayne does not. And and Sadiq Bay, you know, you might find ways to get him more involved. I would really like to see that happen. You know, run plays for the guy. You know, run plays for Svee, run plays, you know, do things that are going to cater to the specific strengths of each of these players, each of these young players, and each of your players in general. And and that's something that, uh, that yeah, this current coaching staff does, does not do, really does not altogether do, you know, <laughs> at all good job well. it's no just, no it's just the don't. way it is and uh and i think on your average rebuilding squad no matter how well you know no matter how well ellington were to do he would still be coming off the bench in favor oh of no doubt absolutely yeah. no doubt yeah he, he might be shooting this well but he would still be coming off the bench and still playing like maybe 15 to 20 minutes a game yep. uh it's i really don't like this compete while rebuilding philosophy <laughs> i really don't like it I've been. I know. I've already said this, so I'm not going to expound upon it again. Uh, expand upon it again, rather. Uh, but I really don't like it. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's sort of just another variation on the one foot on one one foot 
on either side of the line. Uh, you know, if we're talking the line between rebuilding, competing, the Pistons have one foot on either side of the line. And if some things were to go differently, the Pistons could easily be a, have a little lottery record right now. And that could still happen. Though it's worth noting that for the, just to transition into briefly into another topic, uh, that's, you have the competitive, uh, uh, and, and let's not talk too much about this because I want to talk more on a future episode about, uh, about draft position and the Pistons competitors for such. But I, I think just briefly, it's worth noting that uh, the Pistons have been helped by a couple of factors. Uh, number one, aside from Killian, they've basically been healthy all season. Uh, number two, there have been a great deal of key absences on the other side in, in most of their games. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, we'll see. So uh, let's move on to uh, one of the young players. We talked about Isaiah Stewart a bit. This uh, other last episode or two episodes ago. So uh, just a really, really, really likable rookie. Uh, I know a lot of people really feel that he embodies that that Detroit spirit that was really, uh, you know, exemplified first by the bad boys and then the going to work Pistons. Uh, I think he puts a lot of people in mind of Ben Wallace and and, uh, and Dennis Rodman in terms of just his grit. And his uh, and his work ethic, and, and just his his uh, his relentless just a relentless work ethic and attitude and, and whatnot on the court. So yeah, Tommy, I know you've you just find uh, Isaiah Stewart to be a joy to watch. Yeah, I really like the matchup against uh, Harrell in the Lakers game. I think that's that's kind of his ideal role, and I think we can talk about that more later, but. Uh, being that energy guy who's just kind of fighting and, you know, kind of inspiring your teammates to play harder. Uh, not, not only is that really good for the players on the court, uh, it's just a lot of fun to watch. I, I absolutely love that Isaiah Stewart. Re- I, I agree with the general sentiment. I think Isaiah Stewart does embody the spirit of Detroit and uh, this hard work and basically fighting for everything. And it's so much fun to watch. I know you have, you know, you've got like the stats pulled up and I know that uh, it's it's not the best looking you know, stat sheet, but I think you can contextualize some of it in some ways that it's not that bad. Uh, he's made a lot of improvements. I know you have that ready. Yeah, it's so, you know, we should preface it with, with saying what we've said before is that None of us really care if he has bad stats this year. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it is, it is, he's, he's a rookie. Most important thing is that he's getting the opportunity. So yeah, I, I, I've done a kind of a dive into the stats, uh, but why don't we just uh, start off by talking uh, about what, what really we perceive as his strengths and weaknesses. And this I have done pretty, uh, you know, uh, pretty fairly extensively prepared for I'll try not to just be talking uh, for this entire time, but uh, you know, why don't, why don't you guys, uh, you know, just expand upon it a bit first, Dante, what, what do you really see as, as Isaiah Stewart's strengths and what do you see as, as, as his major weaknesses? Well, look, anytime, um, you know, you can walk out onto an NBA court as a rookie, 19 years of age and look LeBron James in the face and start chirping him. Like that's, that to me shows that you've got the, um, I guess I'll call it the requisite fire um, to really be a force in this league. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't sit there and say that, uh, do I think he's going to be an all-star? No, I, I don't really think that's likely. But um, given the attitude, given the, the motor um, that we're seeing 
almost increase on a night to night basis because uh, I, I just feel like he's, he's steadily improving. Um, if he keeps up this pace and he maintains his trajectory, I think we're probably looking at, and you guys can obviously feel free to disagree with me, but I think that at his absolute peak, he could probably be uh, an above average offensive center if he can learn to space the floor because his athleticism and his balance is really not there, but he does have a nice looking jump shot. And uh, I know there was some discussion of, about this on Twitter, but uh, uh, Casey was talking about how he believes that this time next year, Stuart could be able to space the floor. And as great as that would be, um, I also think it's realistic because one of the best indicators of how you can uh, eventually be from the three-point line is how you are from the free-throw line. And obviously, I don't I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, Mike. I know that you do, but Stuart strikes me as a as a as a good three or not a three-point shooter. Sorry, as a good free-throw shooter. Um, he's got a very mechanically sound form. It looks really good. Uh, he's not clanking off the rim. It's just like a swish almost every time. Um, so yeah, so the the signs are there to me that he could be a good offensive player. And then as far as defense goes, he's already got the motor. He's already got the drive. Um, and we're seeing right now a phenomenon very similar to what Demboya had last year where you see this willingness to play defense, but maybe not quite the fundamental technique to do so without fouling. So Stewart is finding himself in foul trouble a lot. But I feel, and I know we've discussed this before, I feel that that's something that'll come with time where you can defend with the same veracity uh, but you're not committing fouls while doing so. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic on his ceiling. I think he can be an above-average offensive center, and I think he can be a very good defensive center. And if you combine those two things, you're looking at a plus starter, which is awesome value uh, right outside the lottery. So generally, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I Like I said, I don't have the stats in front of me. I don't know what the stats say. But based on just watching the games, that's my general overview of the player. Yeah, before you dive in, I think it's important to say that Isaiah Stewart is learning a completely different defensive system than what he played in at Washington. Uh, at Washington, he was pretty much living in the paint. Uh, it was a lot of zone offense, and we saw in, like in the, in the early going, he was still kind of reverting to that. His defensive instincts were to stay in the paint. There were a few probably three-second calls that weren't called just because he would stay there, and they just missed it, thankfully. But now we're seeing that, you know, he's getting switched onto LeBron James on the perimeter and he's kind of learning to pick his spots. And even though I think he got scored on both times, he was switched onto LeBron. Uh, he picked the distance between them pretty well. I mean, he he defended a LeBron drive and he got scored on, but he didn't foul. And then uh, he. Whether or not you want to say that LeBron was scared to drive against Isaiah Stewart, uh, LeBron did pull up for a three instead of taking the drive. Uh, I think he's just going to have to keep learning to pick his spots and anticipate drives and funnel players, you know, along the baseline. But it's it's a real learning curve for him. He's learning a ton of new things, and I think he's doing quite well. Yeah, yeah. The, I'm familiar with those two drives you're talking about. I think it was not quite back-to-back, but they were pretty, um, pretty close together um, where LeBron drove and then he managed to finish both times over Stewart. And those are what I would probably refer to as some of those situations where it's like good defense, better offense. And at the end of the day, it is LeBron James. Uh, yeah. More often than not, he's going to get to his spots and, and it's probably going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to see it go in. But I felt like he hung with them. He had good timing. He had good, uh, for someone who's not explosive, you know, he managed to get up there and kind of compete with LeBron's vertical a little bit. And uh, it looked okay. Um, so 
fundamentally, he, he I'm, I'm pretty optimistic on how he can develop defensively. And so combined with, you know, I just went on about his uh, offensive potential. I think we're looking at a really good prospect. Um, and now, okay, now we've all been dying for the advanced stats. So let's, I'm going to turn it to Mike because now I want to, I want to hear what the advanced stats say. It's not so much the advanced stats. There, there's not really, uh, you know, a ton to talk about. Um, you know, I, I did a bit of a dive, particularly on the defensive end, basically, is is, uh, is what I looked at most. Uh, beyond that, just just kind of a deeper analysis into what he's good at and what he really needs to improve upon. Uh, but as, as far as his performance throughout the season, he had really, uh, defensively speaking, I mean, he's, he's, he's struggled offensively throughout the season. This is really something he needs to work on. Defensively, he really struggled early on. Uh, throughout his first nine games, he uh, was a bad rim protector uh, to the tune of you know around sixty percent of the rim, which is not a good measure. Uh, his paint defense, he got really crushed within six feet. He was giving up uh, about sixty-eight and a half percent for uh, for opponents uh, against whom he was matched up within six feet of the basket. And uh, on his uh, perimeter defense, he's given up about thirty-nine percent now. Uh, the last uh, is kind of just harder to quantify, you know. Um, just some players are going to shoot better than others from the perimeter, as far as as far as matchups go. Uh, but uh, ever since, uh, so in, in his game since then, since uh, the middle of January, his rim defense has gotten a lot better to the tune of about forty nine percent, which is a very good mark. Uh, his paint defense has improved just by leaps and bounds. And uh, he's he's improved as a perimeter defender as well, uh, though I'm actually fairly certain that's the uh, that the NBA.com metrics on that are off because <laughs> otherwise, because uh, I really don't think his opponents are shooting 23% against him. And if they are, that's more on them than it is on him. <laughs> so uh, still remains well below average in terms of efficiency. Uh, to, you know, as, as a scorer, yeah, it's not good at all. Sub 50%. And I don't care. I mean, it's something he needs to work on. Uh, and, and it's something... Uh, so, so what I'm going to launch into here, basically, we should talk about what Isaiah Stewart needs to work on in part in the context of what his just natural weaknesses are as an athlete. So as an athlete, he is... Number one, his vertical is poor. And, and that's something that can be improved upon to some degree, but he's just, he's not vertically explosive. Basically everybody has a ceiling. Everybody has an athletic ceiling. Uh, the three of us could dedicate our entire lives to becoming the greatest athletes we can possibly be. And we are not going to be NBA caliber athletes. <laughs> and it's just the way it is. Hey, everybody has, yeah. Everybody has, everybody. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> I didn't hear you. Uh, what'd you say? <laughs> I said, speak for yourself. And then nobody laughed. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm, really <laughs> so, I'm just, let's yeah. pretend I didn't even say that. Go hey, we it. got, uh, we've got, you know, we all know a guy, we know Kareem who plays uh, the practice squad, I believe of a D3 team. Yeah. You got to be really good at basketball to do that. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it, it's worth noting. We've done this on the, on the podcast before, and I'm sure everybody knows this. Uh, if you are the worst player in the NBA, and uh, this is truer now than it was uh, in previous days in which just being tall it was, in, was sometimes enough to make you, you know, get you pretty close to being a, being a, uh, a decent NBA player. But basically, if you are the worst player in the NBA, you are one of the best basketball players in the world. <laughs> I mean, just making yeah. it to the NBA. If you make it to the NBA and play like five games, uh, you are still a guy who can go into the average rec league and obliterate everyone. 
So, uh, yeah, but just back to what I was saying, everybody has an athletic ceiling and, and some guys come into the NBA, not having quite reached it, but everybody's got a ceiling. And with Stewart, basically you look at him inbuilt issue, not the greatest sleeper. And that's not going to change. He's just, he's not, he's not vertically explosive. That is what it is. And, 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 you know, that, that's, that's an issue at the NBA in terms of rim defense, as far as scoring above the rim. Uh, and his foot speed isn't the greatest, basically just his, his ability to, uh, to speed up his ability to change directions. His lateral mobility seems decent. Uh, and just in general, he's just not, he's just not an explosive athlete. Uh, he's, he's not a guy who's, who's really just going to put on these big bursts of speed, whether on offense or defense. So uh, those, those are weaknesses. Those are weaknesses at the NBA level. Your ceiling at the NBA level is going to be defined in part by your athleticism. Having a very high athletic ceiling is a, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal. That's, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about Kennard versus Mitchell with more distance now because Kennard isn't on the team either. I mean, not that we needed more distance, but it's a little less painful, I guess. <laughs> so uh, one of the differences, so Kennard was uh, certainly a better shooter coming in. He was the guy with the higher floor because he was a better shooter and shooters always, shooting is always going to be a a very valuable NBA skill, but his athletic ceiling was low and that's going to limit you. Whereas, whereas Donovan Mitchell has an extremely high athletic ceiling and that's a big asset just in terms of what it allows you to do. So, so back to Stewart. Uh, those are some weaknesses to consider. Now, uh, just, just general, I don't want to call them weaknesses. Uh, those are just, those are factors. They're limitations. Fa- yeah. They're limitations. limitations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. So, Thank you, counselor. Uh, so yeah, carry sorry, on. What a what carry a small joke there. <laughs> uh, so, man, I do this part to get away from all that. Yeah, right. So, uh, so yeah. So we'll look at uh, basically strengths, his strengths and weaknesses in in, uh, in the context of those limitations. So, his strengths. Uh, this this is a bodily strength. He is extremely strong and very dense. So he's at around six foot nine, two fifty, low body fat. The guy, in, just in terms of his his strength and density, is really something else. So, among centers these days, like it used to be that you could just be as a center, you can be as tall and as bulky as you like. If you're slow footed, it wasn't a big deal. That's not the case anymore. The trend in the league, just based on uh, you know on effectiveness on both ends, is is more toward mobility now. So your centers are just a lot less densely built than they once were. So you have some guys, some centers who are both strong and mobile. You have guys like Embiid and Davis and Adebayo. They are, have a greater advantage now because they are bigger than their average opponents and they can bully them. You have some who are strong and not as mobile and therefore will suffer from some issues with defensive switchability and just overall mobility. Uh, you got Jokic and, and Vucevic and to, to a degree uh, Sabanis. And then you have some who are mobile but not nearly as strong and Christian Wood's really an exemplar of that. So Stewart, as we saw against Harrell, we saw to a degree against Embiid uh, and, and against DeMarcus Cousins, who isn't, is a shadow of his former self, but as we saw in the game after he played against the Pistons, is still capable of some decent stuff. Uh, so Stewart uh, does pretty well, or has done pretty well against them because they can't bully him. He's not the tallest, but he's very dense. Uh, in the post, they can't just push him back toward the basket. They can try it. It's not going to work very well. 
you got a limited amount of time, you know, the shot clock and also well-known rule five seconds back to the basket. You can't post up somebody you back to the basket more than five seconds for what that's worth. So you can't bully him that way. If they want to drive to the basket, they can't just move him aside. They have to drive around him. And uh, assuming he can avoid following, these are assets. And he's, he's gotten better at that by just on the drive, just keeping his arms up. Uh, Embiid managed to get him uh, to, to draw a couple of fouls off of him in the post, I believe. And that's that's just Embiid is amazing at drawing fouls. And I know a lot of people don't like Trey Young, for example, or James Harden because they think they just draw BS fouls. Embiid draws real fouls. <laughs> I mean, Embiid gets hacked. Embiid gets uh, gets pushed. I mean, he draws he draws his fouls by being a very physical player. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, post offense isn't big, but but it's helpful if if you can't be bullied. Uh, Stewart is very good at repositioning within the paint, despite his below average foot speed. Uh, that's again due to his density. If he gets somewhere in the paint, you're not going to be able to move him. Basically, I mean, you're going to either have to, uh, you know, sure, there's the aspect of blocking, but if he gets there, I mean, he's planted. You're going to have to go around him. Uh, you know, at, at the very least, he's established his position immediately, which is by the fact that he is very difficult to move. He just basically sticks to where he is. Uh, you know, uh, Accordingly, he can't be moved easily under the basket on offense. That's one of the things that makes him such a good offensive rebounder. He's established his position. Almost everybody around him is in, is going to be considerably is not going to be anywhere near as strong or as as as, uh, as dense as he is. You couple that with his uh, with his wingspan, which I believe is seven four, and uh, his good second jump and just his relentless pursuit of the ball that makes him an effective offensive rebounder. Uh, the guy, as we know, runs hard the floor hard in transition. He's a super hard worker, uh, sort of never say die player, never backs down from anything. And uh, he's got an extreme winner's mentality and just the sort of maniacal work ethic that uh, that's possessed by guys like uh, like Bam, Bam Adebayo. And Adebayo is considerably more athletic than Stewart. Uh, and I, I don't think Stewart overreached that point, but but the Adebayo's work ethic and his and his just cerebral nature with Stewart also has are are things that have helped make Adebayo the player he is. Stuart's uh, only nineteen, though, right? Yeah, he is only... that's that's getting yeah. lost in all this is that we talk about how dense he is, um, how immovable he is when he plants himself in the paint. And I listen; I'm not a sports science major. We just made the law school joke, so that's not my my expertise. But did, I don't. Do you stop growing at nineteen? Like, is there a chance you get taller? No, I'm not talking. Well, for most people, probably you're not going to get much taller. Right. I know Ben Simmons grew an inch in between uh, when he was drafted and when he first played, but maybe Stewart to get a bit taller. But I'm talking about getting more athletic. No, no, no not, this, not in terms of athleticism. No, I understand what you're saying, but I meant there's we're talking about his density, right, and his strength um, as a plus. And so he he definitely has athletic limitations. He's extra, extraordinarily unlikely to ever break them because that's just the limits of your physical body. But there's a chance he gets taller. There's a chance he gets stronger. And so I'm almost wondering if those athletic limitations can be offset by this continued growth into what is already a very dense frame. Um, because you're, he's never going to be a great vertical explosive leaper. But at 19 years old, to have the, you know, the body that he does, I, I wonder what he's going to look like at 25, for example, and how that might change um, his effectiveness uh, in and around the in and around the paint. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's hard to say. I don't think he wants to get much bigger than he is because that might just slow him down further. I I would imagine that having access to, to, to NBA training. I mean, the guy's genetically gifted in terms of how strong he is. Yeah, that, that's part of it. And I don't doubt that he's worked super hard on it. Like he just probably works super hard on everything. 
uh, having access to, to, to MBA facilities and, and sports scientists and trainers and whatnot will help possibly improve his vertical and whatnot. But uh, I, I wouldn't count on him getting much bigger than he already is. I don't think he probably would really want to. He's already very big by today's NBA standards. Um, but uh, I mean, he's a post player, though. I think the biggest thing is that yeah, we'll see. Bam. I've yeah. seen people comp him to Bam. He just does not have the vertical. And because of that, the verticality and the mobility, those are two of Bam's biggest strengths. Those are the things that make him so hard to guard. And I think yeah, it's also why he can guard everybody. Yeah. Yep. Bam's a great passer, uh, too. And I, I haven't seen him have passing. Yeah. Bam, Bam has things that make him special. It's the same thing with yeah. the comps to a Kongwu. I mean, Bam, it's, it's not just his work ethic. He's, yeah, he's a great passer. Uh, he can switch on to anybody. He's got great defensive shoot. instincts. Yeah. Yeah, he's learning to shoot too. Yeah. So, uh, but just just to round out uh, Stewart's strengths, uh, he seems really cerebral, and he seems intent on working on everything. Like uh, he has he has his limitations, but he's got a he seems to have a really good uh, analytical head, uh, and and of course just just like I said, a strong strong intention to improve, and so he has a greater chance than than most players to learn to adjust for his physical downsides, just to learn to adjust for his overall limitations. There's no fully compensating for kind of his, his lackluster athleticism, but if there's a way to compensate for something, he seems very likely to find it. And uh, also beyond, you know, of course, his very team focused attitude, intangibles. I mean, he's a guy who's gonna do just he's gonna provide some, you know, to just a boost to his team, uh, just just by being on the floor. So. Uh, when it comes to his weaknesses, like we said, poor athleticism in terms of verticality and foot speed uh, plays into basically all of his weaknesses. So uh, he's he's it's pretty easy. You mentioned that uh, that drive, uh, you know, when when LeBron drove against him or drove against him rather. Uh, other guys did this. Kuzma the same thing, and it's been the case throughout the season. Guys who can succeed in staying a, a little bit ahead of him and then throw it high off the backboard because Stewart just doesn't have the verticality to to get up there and block that despite his wingspan. So that's an issue. He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to learn how to deal with that, as he, he just he just can't move and jump well at the same time. He struggles a bit against guys who can stretch the floor, even mid range stretchers like Adebayo, who really gutted him, in, in one of the games uh, that the Pistons played against the Heat. That stems from his kind of lackluster foot speed. If he gets separated from his man, uh, even a little bit, uh, whether it's by pick or otherwise, and, and that man goes goes outside, uh, Stewart's gonna have difficulty reaching him again. That plays into his switchability. If you if he if he gets switched onto a guy who can step back to the three point line or just step back in general, Stewart just doesn't have the uh, he he just doesn't have the kind of mobility to reach him. If the guy drives a little bit and then steps back, I mean that's an issue for many defenders, but I think certainly for Stewart is that the guy is probably going to get a good shot off. In, in terms of his actual switchability, I've been impressed that he moves his feet well. He's not super quick and he's and he's very dense, but he moves his feet pretty well. That helps to compensate. Not the greatest defensive rebounder. Good offensive rebounder. But defensive rebounding, a lot of it is you're already in position to get the rebounds and you jump high. You know, physique is helpful. Height is helpful. But being able to jump high is very helpful. And Stewart can't really do that. Uh, He'll need to find some way to compensate for that. Uh, He's not a a bad defensive rebounder. But, you know, part of, uh, you know, just it's very helpful to be able to jump. We'll put it that way. Yeah. And his offense is bad. Uh, it's just straight bad. He, he can't score above the rim because uh, this is just poor verticality. That's, you know, impairs him in part uh, as a lob threat. But also when he gets the ball underneath the rim, he just goes for this very flat-footed layup. 
And uh, that's much lower percentage shot than actually having your hands above the rim when you're scoring. Uh, you can't just, you can't really dunk it very well just from a flat position. And yeah, that's, he's just going to have to unwarn the habit of doing what he probably did in the NCAA. It's probably fine in the NCAA to just to take that flat-footed layup. It's not going to work for him in the NBA. He needs to take more time to position himself uh, and and just just find more clever ways uh, to, to, to score. Also will help him draw fouls. Uh, hopefully he can learn to shoot. That would be a big asset, and I think particularly for him because I don't think he'll ever be really the strongest interior scorer due, due to his lack of boost. And finally, the fouls. The fouls are very common to very kind of highly athletic physical NCAA defenders uh, who need to translate that to the, to the NBA in a much faster pace and the uh, just a much better opposition. Bruce Brown had the same issue and he improved on that significantly in season two. So uh, yeah, that's, that's where I feel we stand in terms of uh, Isaiah Stewart's strengths and weaknesses. And I feel like if anybody is, is going to work hard to improve upon his weaknesses, definitely Isaiah Stewart is, is one of those players. So Tommy, what do you see as his overall ceiling based on, you know, just based on, you know, what we've spoken of? And I know this is probably a little premature, you know, because the guys only played about 18 games, but, uh, you know, projection, I suppose. Yeah. If he could find a way to work around his vertical deficiencies, I guess, uh, I think he has a real shot to be a starter. But I feel like the most likely outcome is that he's just a heavy usage bench five. And I say that because he's primarily a post player. Uh, he'd probably shoot jump shots on moderate to low volume. And I think that's just a better role for him. I don't think he's a, a great uh, complimentary player. I think he's going to be a guy who's holding the ball, stopping the ball, and uh, initiating a lot of his own offense in the post. You know, we saw him passing out of the paint a little bit, and that's good. But I think it would be better to just surround him with shooters and like a middle tier bench point guard and let him go to work against what's probably going to be a weaker, slower crop of centers uh, where I feel like he could dominate uh, in spite of his uh, relative lack of size compared to some of these bigger, faster guys. So I think Dante said he would be a starter. Uh, I'm going to go and be a little bit lower on him than that, but I still love his play style. I think he's a joy to watch. I think games like the ones where he had against Harrell are like his ideal fit, and uh, I think – he would really excel in that role and be a stable for this Pistons team as they uh, develop their identity. So I actually disagree. I think that Stewart's ceiling is, uh, as far as good teams go, speaking relative to, to the standards of good teams, is maybe a below average, uh, but still capable, uh, low cost uh, center with a lot of intangibles. Uh, that, of course, or not of course, but I would say that would depend really on whether or not he becomes able to shoot. If he can't shoot, then uh, you know, then, then the best center he's going to be on a contender is kind of a really low cost one who's surrounded by much better players. Like uh, you know, for example, how uh, the Warriors fielded a, a succession of really low cost centers, uh, just surrounded by just great talent at at, uh, at three of the other position, four of the other position. Actually, all of them between uh, Curry, Thompson, Durant, and Green. So, uh, assuming he can learn to shoot. Uh, I, I think definitely he could be uh, he could be a starter for the Pistons. I don't think he's ever going to be really a game changer at his position, but as long as he's got good players around him, I think he could be an effective guy. That's, he's he's got to be able to stretch the floor because I don't think he's ever going to be uh, a very good uh, interior scorer. I think he can be a capable interior scorer, and if he can stretch the floor, capable is fine. 
Uh, I don't think he's really going to, uh, I could be wrong, of course. I don't think he's really going to translate his post game to the NBA. Really, that was in, in college about, uh, you know, two things really. Number one was just straight bullying people. And uh, he could do that in many cases against the vastly less athletic talents he, he faced in the NCAA. So it was bullying them or just twirling around them. Uh, and, and you're not going to twirl around, uh, you know, a good starting center in the NBA in the post. Also, post offense in the NBA is just really not worthwhile unless you're really good at it. Uh, and, you know, maybe it could be. I don't think so. There are very few guys who are very good at who are good enough to make post offense worthwhile in the NBA. So uh, I think that he will continue to improve on defense. And I've been noticing more and more just that his, his instincts on defense are very good. He, he tends to know where to be. Uh, he tends to really pay attention to who he's guarding. Whom, uh, and uh, <clears throat> I would guess that he's doing this research. And he knows, uh, you know, he strikes me as the kind of guy who'd be doing, you know, who'd be, who'd be reviewing tape outside a game uh, to to see the, just, just to know better the players uh, against whom he's going to face off and, and what they're going to do and what shots he should give them and what shots he shouldn't give them. And yeah, so as long as he can become a capable interior score and he's just going to need to work on that he's, he's going to be disadvantaged by his by his poor vertical but you know it's like i've said before he's a player uh, whom you know if, if there's a guy who is going to find ways to compensate for his uh, physical limitations uh you know stewart's gonna be one of those guys uh, he's cerebral and he's hardworking. So assuming he becomes that capable interior scorer, a reliable floor stretcher, and he can be that, uh, you know, he can be that good defender. I don't think he's going to be elite, but I think he can certainly be capable. Uh, then, yeah, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who takes over games on offense by, by any means. And I, I don't know if he'll ever be a game-changing defender. But you take those qualities, if he has them, and couple them with his intangibles. You know, his, his just uh, relentless work ethic. And in his attitude and, uh, you know, the way he seems to, you know, probably bother the opposition and, and boy his teammates uh, really in addition to just the, the positive benefits, you know, the obvious benefits of, of improving in those areas and becoming a starting caliber player. I mean, this is the sort of guy that because of his intangibles, it's great if you can play him starters minutes. So uh, that's what I see as his ceiling. Now, if he doesn't shoot, then he's probably relegated to bench center uh, or a guy who can, you know, kind of capably fill in when your starter's out. We're talking on a good team here. Uh, so I'd say that's that's really going to be key. But if he can do that, I think he stands a solid shot at being uh, at, at being a capable center, uh, again, provided that he is surrounded by good players at the other positions. So that'll be it for this week's episode. Uh, next week, we are going to change pace a bit and go into just the overall draft position uh, situation for the Pistons uh, vis-a-vis uh, how things are looking, just how the Pistons are, are performing the context of their performance and sort of around the league, the teams that right now are uh, the biggest threats as far as being, uh, as far as finding themselves high in the draft lottery. So as always, want to thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.